Welcome to the Love and Lordships, The Authority of Love, uh, where our desire is for every life and every relationship to be built on the love and lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm Greg Williams, and uh, thank you for joining the broadcast or the podcast. Remember, you can find that anywhere, and I hope you've been following us throughout, but especially during this Christmas week, as we've talked about key players and the scripture text, the story, the incredible story of Christ becoming Emmanuel, God with us. Now, remember, you can listen anytime at WJMM.com. Uh, go to the podcast tab up near the upper right corner. Click on the Love and Lordship links, and you'll get today's and the previous two days podcasts, and that'll fill you in on some things that I'm going to talk about today. You can get all of these and many more at uh, loveandlordship.podbean.com. Love and Lordship, all spelled out together, .podbean, P-O-D as in dog, B as in boy, E-A-N as in Nancy, podbean.com. Uh, also, you can uh, go to our website at loveandlordship.com and find all kinds of videos and articles and uh, podcasts. So we welcome you there and I look forward to engaging with you. I'm so glad you tuned in today because we're going to learn from the first to hear about the announcement, which is what we talked about a couple of days ago, and the first ones after Mary and Joseph to witness the arrival, which is what we talked about yesterday, and that is the shepherds. And I've entitled it simply what I just shared a little bit about, Emmanuel, God with us. Before I jump into that story, I got another funny Christmas story. I know you cracked up at the one yesterday, so I got another good one today. There was a small boy who was writing a letter to God about the Christmas presents he badly wanted. I've been good for six months now, he wrote. After a moment's reflection, he crossed out six months and he wrote three months. Another little pause and he put two weeks and there was still another pause and he crossed that out too. He threw his pencil down. He got it from the table and went over to the nativity scene. He picked up the figure of Mary and he wrapped it gently in a cloth and put it in a drawer in his bedroom. He then went back to his writing and he started again and said, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> Isn't Christmas great? Isn't that awesome? I know you're cracking up. I can see the smiles through the, the airwaves. But today as our final message before Christmas Day. I want to begin with the, the, their excerpts here from an article by Nick Harris called The Real Shepherds of Bethlehem. Let me read that and I'm going to go into some detail on that because I think it gives us a lot to think about in this whole story of Christmas and maybe the ones that we can associate with more than any. On the first Christmas night, shepherds tended huge flocks of sheep near the village of Bethlehem. This was odd because it was unusual for large flocks to be near towns and villages. Why? The stench fouled the air so badly that people could not breathe. So large flocks were always found where people weren't. Bethlehem was an exception. Isn't that interesting? Bethlehem. For 30 days, one time of the year, a huge flock of one-year-old lambs grazed near Bethlehem, the time of year just prior to Passover. These sheep belonged to the high priest and his family. Every lamb declared as unblemished and separated for the temple sacrifice and or eaten as Passover lambs. The sizes of these flocks required a great host of shepherds who would work in shifts. Some watched the flock by night while others slept. Bethlehem itself was and is a very interesting place. In the time of Jesus, it was picturesque. 
It sits on a high cliff composed of limestone, and for that reason, Bethlehem can be seen for miles in all directions. The grazing fields where the temple shepherds tended these flocks are in the valley south and east of this town, beneath the limestone cliff. In the middle of this grazing area was a structure known as the Migdal Eder, M-I-G-D-A-L-E-D-E-R, Migdal Eder, or the Tower of the Flock. What was it there for? It was used by the priests who oversaw the shepherds. By remaining in the Migdal Eder, the priests were able to keep themselves from becoming ritually defiled. You see, because of their defiled condition, shepherds were not allowed to go to the temple to offer sacrifices or to go to the synagogues. So any religious experience a shepherd might enjoy was simply between God and himself. To a Jew of that time, and especially the temple authorities, the priests, Worshiping God apart from the temple was thought to be an anathema. In no way. It just couldn't happen. There was no worship without the temple. True religion was not a personal thing in their eyes. It had to be corporate. So for all these reasons, even the most pious shepherds were labeled unclean and could not enter the presence of God, the temple. However, it would be those unclean, ritually filthy shepherds of Bethlehem and especially the ones who got the light shift. They would be the first persons God would, would make himself known to and assign to visit his son to literally be in his presence. It was shocking for God to do this. These Bethlehem shepherds should have been the last people that God would assign this task to or come to visit. Most people would think that God would send those intellectual giants, the priests who were found in the Migdal Eder and in the temple. But God had a plan. Even the least among us are invited into a relationship with his son. None of us are excluded. We do not need to be theologians or priests to enjoy this Christmas relationship, we must simply be willing to come to him just as we are. As you prepare for Christmas, the, the Christmas celebration, let me close with what I call the gospel according to the shepherds. So often in the Christmas story, we focus on the main characters, Mary and Joseph, and of course, Jesus, and rightfully so. But through the short account in Luke 2, 8 through 20, here are four things we can learn from the shepherds that should make the top of our to-do list this and every Christmas. Keep in mind both who these shepherds were in the world's eye, in the priest's eyes, in the eyes of the temple leaders, and what they would have strongly understood regarding the perfect, unblemished Passover lamb. Here are the four lessons. Number one, believe. Every step from the fields of Bethlehem, where they heard the message from the angels, to the manger stall was by faith. They hadn't seen him yet. They'd only heard. Number two, obey. The shepherds did exactly as they were told. In faith, they walked to the manger in Bethlehem, the stall, the cave. Faith without be obedience is no faith at all. 
three, to help. Faith now became sight. What would they do with what they had been entrusted with? When the shepherds arrived in Bethlehem and saw the child lying in the feed trough in swaddling clothes, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child who, by the angels of God, it was exactly as they'd been told. They weren't preachers or missionaries or priests. That didn't matter. They had heard and seen something that meant salvation for the entire world. And then number four, don't miss this, experience it. The shepherds experienced the wonder and awe. The shepherds were overwhelmed at the angel's announcement. They experienced holy wonder. Why? Because they, had, they, they walked in faith. They were obedient. They got, to, they got to then tell others. They fully experienced the holy wonder. And then in obedience, they told everyone they encountered. It was exactly everyone they saw in Bethlehem on their way back to the fields of Bethlehem, the stinky, stench-filled fields. They said, let me tell you what we heard and then what we saw and who's in that manger in that stall right there in Bethlehem. Let's go one step further. You see, there's another Christmas story of Emmanuel, God with us in Scripture. Stay with me here. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says it this way. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, God in the flesh. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's actually verses 5 through 8. Go back and read 3 and 4 as well. The last verse there, verse 8, says that Jesus was found in fashion as a man. That word fashion is the word Greek word schema. This is extremely important for this was precisely the same word that was used in ancient times to depict a king who exchanged his kingly garments for a brief period of time for the clothing of a beggar. The word humbled is the Greek word tapianao, and it means to be humble, to be lowly, and to be willing to stoop to any measure that is needed for the sake of another. Think of how much Humility would be required of God to shed his glory in the form of his son, lower himself to become like a member of his creation. Consider the greatness of God's love that drove him to divest himself of all the splendor and become a man. This is amazing to me, particularly when I think of how often the flesh recoils at the thought of being humble or preferring someone else above itself. Yet Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, not only to become flesh, but to lose and die in that flesh, to become obedient unto death, even death of the cross. The word obedient tells me this was not a pleasurable experience that Jesus looked forward to in anticipation. To humble himself to this extent required Jesus' deliberate obedience. This is the reality of the Christmas story. Nothing else matters if this didn't happen. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
John 1.14, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. From the humble stable in Bethlehem to the humble heart of every man and woman who will accept him by faith through grace, that's Emmanuel. That's Christmas. You see, without Emmanuel, nothing else matters. If he's not Emmanuel, then Lord, shepherd, friend, brother, Savior, nothing else matters. God with us. He not only came to us, he became us so he could save us and we could be with him for eternity. Oh, he is forever King of kings and Lord of lords, but he could never have been our Savior and Lord had he not become a baby, become us, Emmanuel, God with us. Without Christmas, there is no Easter, no chance of salvation. If Christ doesn't put on flesh, doesn't become human and give up his life as the perfect sacrifice and atonement for us, that's Christmas. That's the womb of a virgin, a filthy manger, swaddling cloths, hay and manure, cows and sheep and stench. That's God wrapped in our injured, dying, decaying flesh. Don't miss this. Everything you, else you hear this season, Savior, Lord, Shepherd, everything could only happen because he became Emmanuel, God with us. There is no, humili there is no love without humility and obedience in Jesus' life and example and in our life. Enjoy all of it because he came to us and he became us. We have every reason, even in the struggle, stress, and trials, to rejoice, to be at peace, to know joy and love, because love came down in Emmanuel, God in the flesh with us. Amidst all the activity, stop and treasure all these things. Ponder them in your heart. Engage in some holy wonder. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your prayers. Thanks always to the Lord. Make it a great day, and God bless. Merry Christmas in the Christ of Christmas. I'm Greg Williams, and you're listening to The Authority of Love.